Alright, welcome everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Baked and Awake podcast. I'm your host, Steve, and this should be episode 80 of the show. Um, I want to thank you for tuning in and listening, whether it's your first session with me, or if you've been taking this journey with me from the start, or anywhere along the lines that you came along. Thank you all for spending any of your valuable listening time, you know, here in this busy world in 2019 with me. Um, As I like to do at the top of the show, I want to let you know, smoke some weed here. Podcast is called Baked and Awake. Get with the program. Uh, I'm often told that I talk too slow and that it takes me a while to get to the point. What do you want? It's a work in progress. And as I just told you, I'm smoking weed, so just doing my best over here. If you need a little help and you need to move the pace along, you can skip forward. You can use that scrub button. You can hit that 1.25, 1.5x button. You know, give me a shot in the ass with a you know bit of digital caffeine, and I uh, should pick up the pace really nicely for you. For those of you who you know need that help, we're all busy and important. I get it. All right. Run me at 2x if you got to. I'll do Alvin and the Chipmunks for you. Got a couple different stories for you today, though, for the podcast. We are going to talk cannabis for once, uh, briefly, here at the beginning <laughs> of the show. You know, I've just been, we haven't spent a lot of, you know, heavy time in the trenches on the cannabis side, on the baked side of Baked and Awake the last, I don't know, couple, few months. You know, we, uh, the, the whole, the whole show is couched in the, you know, colors and sensations and textures of filtering all our stories and content that, you know, I choose to bring up and, like, put on the agenda for an episode uh, through the lens of, you know, a bit of a smoky lens, let's say. So, um, but that said, you know, there are a number of important and probably of interest cannabis news topics that continue to develop here in North America in particular. You know, I want to thank all of you who are listening from all around the world, too. I've really been amazed and impressed and I've been sharing on Instagram lately. For as long as I'm still on social media, it'll probably be Instagram, and those days are probably coming to a close pretty soon because as I plan to ramp down and remove myself slowly from Facebook somehow this year, um, Instagram being a Facebook property is probably, as much as I love it, you know, probably the next to go after Facebook. So keep that in mind. Find the show directly at www.bakedandawake.com, always. Uh, so, you know, if you're coming to me through some portal, like, you know, when I hit publish on this episode, it pushes it out to Facebook, it pushes it out here, it pushes it out there. No current plans to leave YouTube right now. Really grateful for my recent... Um, Last few followers on YouTube, Smoky Cretan. I'm looking at you, bro. You were like, you were like 3.99, I think, uh, or 3.98, and uh, didn't get another notification about a new member till like 4.01 or 4.02, and I think that's an upshot of people not necessarily sharing that there, you know, uh, making public who they're subscribed to or not. So, uh, but let's let's light this joint. I rolled up a little. Uh, joint of my own last round of like homegrown blueberry from last fall that I'm still working my way through. Um, I haven't bought oil in weeks, uh, so I'm sure whenever I take my next dab, that'll be awesome. It'll probably be like, you know, my first dab. I'll probably take a trip to space when that happens. We'll smoke this joint together today. And we'll roll up our sleeves and dive into this first news story that we're tracking that is our cannabis story and that is about the u.s postal service coming up with and and publishing their guidelines for legally shipping that is mailing uh cannabis and hemp products which is you know pretty watershed this is a big deal let's see where we got our story from this is cannabis law cannabis dot law okay so they're writing about this. You know, this is this has been news for a minute, okay? Um, I think what 
what this is is an early report on this, but I have seen this pop back up in the last couple of days. Uh, so I think the Postal Service is getting closer to starting implementation on this. Um, but in a story dated March of this year, right, March 12th, 2019, cannabusiness.law shares with us the U.S. Postal Service has issued guidelines for mailing hemp CBD. Mailing cannabis products has always been hazardous and mostly illegal. Even lawful hemp and CBD shipments have routinely gotten seized. Fortunately, on March 4, 2019, the U.S. Postal Service quietly released a guide to mailing hemp-derived CBD. In the BMA advisory, Acceptance criteria for cannabidiol, oil, and products containing CBD, a copy of which is embedded below. The U.S. Postal Service acknowledges the legal status of hemp-derived CBD and provides temporary acceptance criteria for demonstrating when a mailing is compliant with the 2014 Farm Act. According to the U.S. Postal Service, a mailing is compliant when it contains the following documentation. 1. Assigned self-certification statement subject to the False Statements Act. Statements must be printed on the mailer's own letterhead and must include the text, quote, I certify that all information contained in this letter and supporting documents are accurate, truthful, and complete. I understand that anyone who furnishes, furnishes false or misleading information or omits information relating to this certification may be subject to criminal and or civil penalties, including fines and imprisonment. Two, the industrial hemp producer possesses a license issued by the Department of Agriculture for the state where the post office or acceptance unit slash acceptance unit is located, which includes documentation identifying the producer by name and showing the mailer is authorized by the registered producer to market products manufactured by that producer. Three, the industrial hemp or products produced from industrial hemp contains a delta 9 THC concentration of not more than three-tenths of 1%, that's 0.3%, on a dry weight basis. The writer of the story goes on to provide a little commentary to help us with context. I have no doubt that this guidance was prepared in response to the legal thumping that the USPS got by my friend and colleague Courtney Moran in the KAB LLC versus the United States Postal Service case for improperly seizing hemp-derived CBD products. In that case, decided on September 21st, 2018, the administrative law judge found that Congress currently permits the interstate sale, transportation, and distribution of exempt industrial hemp pursuant to the most recent Appropriations Act. I find that exempt industrial hemp and products derived from exempt industrial hemp are mailable. So that was the judge's finding. I find that. So setting a legal precedent here in the courts. The USPS guidance document below acknowledges that the 2018 Farm Bill is now law. That once fully implemented, it will modify the mailability criteria for CBD and other cannabis products. And that the instructions it provides are temporary. In other words, the U.S. Postal Service is saying that the regulatory framework for hemp under the 2018 Farm Bill has not yet been created, i.e. fully implemented, but that when it is in place, the U.S. Postal Service will further loosen guidelines and restrictions on mailability of hemp and hemp products, including CBD. And that's where I think I've seen this come from a couple other areas. I liked the tone of this story um, and who it was coming from, that being sort of a cannabis industry attorney. But... It's loosening, it's getting ready to loosen up further right now. As Farm Bill 420 is in, uh, it was approved by the House and it's going in front of the Senate soon in Washington, D.C. this year for the whole country. Back to the story. The fact is that none of the above is actually required under the 2014 or the 2018 Farm Acts. Absolutely true. Okay, this is all just grandstanding and ass covering on the case of, on the part of the Postal Service. Um, but it's, informative to us, right? It's illuminating. So none of this is actually required 
under the 2014 or the 2018 Farm Acts. It is legal to mail lawful hemp and CBD regardless of whether a package containing them has the documentation and information discussed above. However, the U.S. Postal Service appears to be creating a method for allowing more packages to be mailed which otherwise may have been seized or temporarily detained pending further inspection. For this reason, following these guidelines currently appears to be both smart and pragmatic. Many thanks to my friend and client, Justin Fackler of Icaro Plant Science and Rogue Family Farms, that's I believe of Washington State Rogue Family, for sharing this document with me. Justin is and always will be a personal VIP. Uh, so that's the copy of the um, acceptance criteria, so that'll be embedded. Link will be in the show notes. Uh, the writer of this story is Rod Knight, and his credits at the bottom here say Rod Knight, Rod Kite, K-I-G-H-T, Kite, is an attorney who represents lawful cannabis businesses. He speaks at cannabis conferences across the country, drafts and presents cannabis legislation to foreign governments, is regularly quoted on cannabis matters in the media, and maintains the Kite on Cannabis legal blog, where he discusses legal issues affecting the cannabis industry. They give contact information for him there as well. I think this is a great time to mention... My one and only uh, show sponsor, if we even really want to call him that, and that is Calypso CBD, who you are invited to go and check out and find for yourself some healthful CBD-based uh, products for your lifestyle, for your cannabis lifestyle, uh, and get them legally shipped to your home, probably by the U.S. Postal Service. You go visit CalypsoCBD.com. Use the checkout, the discount code at checkout, quote, baked and awake, the name of this show. Uh, I get nothing for this. Uh, Calypso CBD doesn't get anything special or fancy other than a new customer, but you get, I think it's 30% off your first order. Okay. Not bad for trying out products that are of uniformly wonderful quality and are being found out by people every single day all around the world that there are thousands of uses and applications for it in your life and almost all of them are noticeably positive and beneficial so uh, check them out calypsocbd.com i think that story from kite on cannabis and this did this did actually so his cannabis cannabis law Cannabusiness.law did resolve to kite on cannabis. This is where we read the the story. Um, certainly looks to be a really cool nitty-gritty blog for the ins and outs of the uh, current, you know, cannabis industry landscape and law landscape as pertains to those, like, making their way in the business wherever you are in the, like, North American market in particular, although it sounds like this guy works with people in other countries as well from what he's describing so check them out all right i think my joint went out though what the heck i'm sucking on a randy's wired i'm getting down to the bottom of my randy stash and uh we recently reopened communications with randy's i'm trying to get a similar kind of hookup for you guys with randy's as we've got over there with Calypso, I would love for Randy's Wired to give us a Baked and Awake discount code as well. Fingers crossed uh, they'll continue to message me back. I think we're talking to him on Instagram right now. Um, and, you know, maybe we can get some Randy's love and everybody can learn why I'm so hype on these Randy's Wired uh, rolling papers. Um, I've talked about them several times in the past, but it's really cool because it's like it's got its own roach clip crutch built into it. And I strongly feel that they roll way easier also because of that same um wire backbone and i don't i don't think it's like aluminum or anything so i don't think we're like getting extra alzheimer's with every doobie here i think it's a little stainless wire um what does it say about that does it tell you what it's made of on the uh, package not really not really but you know i think it's a stainless wire <laughs> there you go that's my bringing endorsement all right uh moving on so we do our baked we're gonna light this joint again and talk about a bit of a creepy story that i came across on Slashdot originally uh one of my favorite pipelines for news left on the web um 
and uh, the source article. So, so what happens on Slashdot is members of Slashdot will, through submissions and then upvoting and downvoting, stories will slowly get surfaced to the front page of Slashdot. And um, it seems more pure and legit of a system for surfacing news than many of the others that I've encountered everywhere else, you know, in my years of, like, you know, alternative news sourcing, right, as opposed to, like, sitting here and passively watching ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, and MSNBC, and CNN, right, and their little derivatives. So here we are at Reason.com. I don't know who owns them. I mean, for all I know, it's fucking Rupert Murdoch who owns them. I, you know, we can look that up later. But here's a story on a topic we've talked about before in in some detail. So, you know, my friends who have been with me for a bit will recognize right away the theme here. This story is from this month, January 2nd. Writers Andrea O'Sullivan and... Uh, Let's make sure we're still recording. Do we have a podcast? Looks like it. All right. Let's, let's trust it. Hong Kong protests show the dangers of a cashless society. Underneath that, as a like subheading, many digital payments can be tracked, potentially assisting an authoritarian crackdown. Okay. So let's, you know, understand why this matters. So what are our subjects here? What? Pervasive mass surveillance, right? Um, facial recognition, police state, you know, technocratic fucking mind crimes bureau, minority report shit. So Hong Kong's been having some protests attached to the handover of the island back to China from the British, which apparently is still going on today in 20 fucking 19, for God's sakes. I think it's like 2020 is supposed to be the end, right? <sighs> They say here, it can be easy to take cash for granted, especially in a wealthy, developed economy. Hong Kong, if you don't know it, is one of the most prosperous island nations in the world, right? They, they wanted to turn into their own country before, rather than get handed back to China. They don't want to be a colonial of Great Britain either, right? Because they probably make more money than all of Great Britain put together. So, those fortunate enough to live in a stable society usually suffer from no lack of payment options. They are getting more advanced all the time. With financial technology, in parentheses, fintech, a little jargon for us, companies constantly developing new ways to quickly and cheaply make purchases and send money. Right? What do we, what do we use already all the time now? PayPal is old school. Venmo and Zelly. I mean, my bank is using Zelly powering transactions like when my wife and I send money back and forth to each other. Yeah, so we got lots, right? I mean, I'm, I'm naming just a couple. You can send people money with Apple Pay within your phone. You can send people, you can probably send people money within WhatsApp and other stuff like that. Electronic, right? Uh, Bitcoins and things. We've got our blockchain powered cryptos. It sometimes seems the days of old-fashioned cash with its dormant physicality are numbered. Have you ever felt weird yet for using cash on anything? I've already, I mean, I'm in Seattle, Washington, so people are squaring and swiping and fucking got implants in their, you know, wrists to take payment from each other, your dog walker. So uh, I, I've, I've felt weird already using cash in the last couple of years in, in a number of cases. But they go on here. I, I'm sorry. This is one of my one of my soapboxes, so I get too fired up about the surveillance stuff. Allowing cash to die would be a grave mistake. A cashless society is a surveillance society. The recent round of protests in Hong Kong highlights exactly what we have to lose. The current unrest concerns a proposed change to Hong Kong's extradition laws that would allow island fugitives to be transferred to Taiwan, Macau, and mainland China. The proposal sparked mass outrage as many Hong Kongers saw it as little more but a new way for the People's Republic of China to erode the legal sovereignty of Hong Kong. 
This week, anti-extradition protests reached another crescendo as Hong Kongers took to the streets again to commemorate the anniversary of Hong Kong's handoff to China, highlighting the deep political dynamics at play. Specifically, protesters fear that the Chinese judicial system, with all its attendant human rights baggage, would come to supplant Hong Kong's. This would be no small problem. China isn't shy about cracking down on political dissidents, even those from other states under their control. For example, in 2017, a Taiwanese pro-democracy activist was detained in China and sentenced to five years in prison for subverting Chinese state power in his home country. So tens of thousands of Hong Kongers, uh, they just keep on saying it, (laughs) took to the streets to protest what they saw as creeping tyranny from a powerful threat, but they did it in a very particular way. In Hong Kong, most people use a contactless smart card called an octopus card. Great name. Let's not even get started on the symbolism, possible symbolism behind that. To pay for everything from transit to parking and even retail purchases. It's pretty handy. Just wave your tentacular card over the sensor and make your way to the platform. But here it is. Here's the whole reason for the story. But no one used their octopus card to get around Hong Kong during the protests. The risk was that a government could view the central database of octopus transactions to unmask these democratic 'er ne'er-do-wells. Traveling downtown during the height of the protests, you could get put on a list, even if you just happened to be in the area. So it sounds like, you know... Even folks who wouldn't even, who didn't even want to be involved with protests, who weren't involved with protests, who probably were ambivalent or antagonistic towards the protesters in some way or to some degree, were also instinctively avoiding the subway, the public transit of all sorts, to avoid being listed, to avoid being, you know, indexed in some way by their own countries, their own governments, known systems and paradigms and uh, dynamics and laws that are in place that ha- that they've already, you know, put on these people. However many cameras we live with in our, you know, day-to-day existence around here in the United States, in Europe, I understand it's, you know, even crazier in Great Britain from all I've heard, although I have a feeling we're much more heavily surveilled than we ever think we are and are subject to lots of, you know, cameras that are not not so much like ninja hidden cameras, like spy cameras, but just so many fake camera shells that have been masqueraded as real cameras and, and tinted, you know, balls that... Um, hang halfway out of the ceilings of every single public, you know, business that you walk in and out of that you just know probably has a camera behind it, one or more. You know, we're recorded and surveilled more than we even think we are, I I believe, Um, and more than's ever disclosed to us even in in the freest societies. But these folks who are living a little bit in the future, who are living under a little bit more of a repressive um, regime, even than uh, what, you know, what, however much us fringy types might think it's bad here. We know they have it worse. Everybody avoids the completely tracked public transportation system because your, your life could be over if you get categorized the wrong way by their government. You'd be criminalized forever. Social credit is on its way to, if not fully rolled out in their society right now. They go on, and this isn't a super long story. I'm just making it long, right? So the savvy savvy subversives turned to cash instead. Normally the lines for the single-ticket machines that accept cash are populated only by a few confused tourists while locals whiz through the turnstiles with their, there it is, fintech wizardry. That's great. They trained us with fintech earlier. (laughs) 
But on protest days, the queues teemed with young activists, clutching old-school paper notes. As one protester told Quartz, we are afraid of having our data tracked. Using cash to purchase single tickets meant that governments couldn't connect activists' activities with their octopus accounts. It was instant anonymity. Sure, it was less convenient, and one-off physical tickets cost a little more than the octopus equivalent. But the trade-off of avoiding persecution and jail time was well worth it. What could protesters do in a cashless world? Maybe they would have to grit their teeth and hope for the best. But relying on the benevolence or incompetence of a motivated entity like China is not a great plan. Or perhaps public transit would be off-limits altogether. This could limit the protests to fit people within walking or biking distance, or people who have access to a private car, a rarity in expensive, dense cities. But I'm sure this has already occurred to you, this, this thought. If some of our eggheads had their way, the protesters would have had no choice. A chorus of commentators apparently over there, like on, on TV and stuff, call for an end to cash, whether because it frustrates central bank schemes, fuels black and gray markets, or is simply inefficient. All right, it's heavy, got to transport it, got to hold it, it's dirty, wears out, blah, 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 blah. It's not worth what it's, you know, actually printed. We have plenty of newfangled payment options, they say. Why should modern first world economies hew Great word. to such primordial human institutions? The answer is that there is simply no substitute for the privacy that cash, including digitized versions like cryptocurrencies, provide. Even if all the alleged downsides that critics bemoan were true, cash would still be worth defending and celebrating for its core privacy-preserving functions. As Jerry Brito of Coin Center points out, cash protects our autonomy and indeed our human dignity. We don't even need to contemplate hypotheticals of what a digital financial surveillance system would look like. China's ubiquitous social media and messaging service WeChat, I mentioned WeChat specifically, doubles as a primary payment method for millions of mainland Chinese. So that answers that. It's easy, it's effective, and it's integrated into every facet of Chinese digital life. But Coin Center's Peter Van Valkenburg calls apps like WeChat Pay, quote, tools for totalitarianism, for good reason. Each transaction is linked to your identity for possible viewing by Communist Party zealots. Yikes. I don't mince words there. No wonder less than 8% of Hong Kongers battle bother with hyper-palatable WeChat Pay. Ah, so they don't use it that much. There we go. They're like, yeah, no. So they use it in the rest of China quite a bit mainland, but Hong Kong is like, mm, we don't like it. Of course, Western offerings like Apple Pay and Venmo also maintain user databases that can be mined. Users may feel protected by the legal limits that countries like the United States place on what consumer data the government can extract from private businesses. But as research by Van Valkenburg points out, U.S. anti-money laundering laws afford less Fourth Amendment protection than you might expect. Besides, we still need to trust government and businesses to do the right thing. As the Edward Snowden revelations proved, this trust can be misplaced. They close, Hong Kong is about as first world as you can get. 
Yet even in such a developed economy, power's jealous hold is but an ill-worded reform away. We should not allow today's relative freedom to obscure the threat that a cashless world poses to our sovereignty. Not only can it happen here, for some of your fellow citizens, it might already have. So again, that was Andrea O'Sullivan. Check it out on Reason.com, and I will have the link in the show notes on that story. We strive not to sound like a broken record and to just continuously harp on any one topic. And I've been, those of you who listen know that I've been all over the place lately and not in, in the news space, okay, or in the... Like I don't, I don't, I never try to do the fear merchant alarmist content for the sake of content shtick here. I'm just genuinely interested in and honestly affected by concern for all of us and for myself, for my family, for all of us, for what we're, you know, what we've already done to ourselves in the last 40, 50 years. The last 30 years or so, you know, debit cards were a big, huge step in this direction. Today, I mean, when was the last time you did all your holiday shopping in person in local businesses? Was it 10 years ago? Because for some of us, it was close to that long ago the last time we had an Amazon free holiday season, put it that way. I I don't I'm I know I'm speaking for a lot of us. So I posted to my Instagram the other day and that's at baked underscore and underscore awake at Instagram too. So I'm I'm pretty sure if you just search baked and awake on the search panel you'll find me pretty quickly. Um, but like if you go to baconawake.com, the links are there. You can click a button and get to the, directly to the account. Um, but anyway, uh, I'll go to the post um, that I created a couple days ago and asked for people's comments on. And I feel like this is super related to that same scene. And this, um, I think it occurred to me recently because I, I replaced an older iPhone that still already had biometrics on it right it had fingerprint id and i think yeah that phone didn't have like iris my samsung did that i lost which sucked (laughs) but um got a new phone you know i had a battery was going downhill the screen was super broke it was already back in action after losing my samsung i had to go fall back on this old six plus i've been carrying it around for too long so i Finally asked, you know, online on Fedbook, asked the buddies, hey, who's got a phone? You know, somebody sold me a phone, 7 Plus, right? Um, and I realized, ah, oh, shoot, I got no phone jack, uh, no no headphone jack anymore. You know, this is my first one that forgoes that in the iPhone family. Uh, but I'm so delighted, right? My screen is good again. But uh, as good as the cloud sync is, you know, and everything for the most part, most of my, all my apps downloaded back down and my pictures reappeared and stuff like that. Um, I had to re-log into a bunch of things. Okay. Um, and I had to give the phone my thumbprint again in, in the first place if I wanted to use, you know, thumb unlock, which, you know, I mean, we've all got it at this point in time. You know how much more convenient that shit is than putting in your numbers every single time right uh and it's obviously not not satisfactory to not have a passcode lock on your phone if you don't have a passcode lock on your phone you're an interesting and brave uh being much more powerful than me because <laughs> no we're not doing that but so i had to give it my thumbprint again um that's fine doing that but when i was logging back into I don't think it was, yeah, it was Chrome. 
so this was weird and interesting. It like maybe because of the phone change or maybe because I also forgot a couple of passwords and and did a couple passwords reset. I got logged out of a lot of sessions in a lot of places, including on my desktop. Um, And this sort of got my red, you know, sort of my little hackles up and rubbed me fur the wrong way. And I've been dealing with this for years. This is nothing new. But I had to log back in on the browser on the desktop computer here where I work on the podcast and stuff and um, to get back into my drive and stuff. And instantly the Chrome browser initiates uh, two-factor authentic- authentication right workflow of some kind and is like, oh, open your phone and open the Gmail app and do this and that. Uh, basically, you know, show the number. Tell them the number that appears in your Gmail app. And uh, so it's just a, it was an interesting reminder that, oh, here's, you know, Google getting a fresh chance at, you know, forcing me to use my biometrics because I've already at some point caved in to the, you know, dozens and dozens of dialogues you'll get prompting you to, hey, turn this feature on or use this. It'll be easier. Every time you turn on or open hardly any app, they try to you know, give you some shitty value proposition to then trade away a little bit more of your soul to them forever, right? Turn on microphone access all the time so that I can help you even better. Check this box to make sure that your shit gets sent straight to the top of the class so that we can analyze it extra good, you know? <laughs> uh, so I've done episodes on terms of service. I've done episodes on a lot of these themes before and this was another reminder here i am putting my thumbprint you know in over and over again day in and day out acting like and feeling like i'm doing nothing just unlocking my phone but reminded in subtle ways like this little um dance i had to do with google to get back into my own shit and it's like, what if I sent you upstairs to do that for me? Because you're my friend and we were working on a project together. And you're like, oh, I'm locked out of the computer and your drive is signed out for some reason. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, well, the, you know, password's poopadoop 2013, you know, and just put it in. It didn't like that. You know, I was trying to just log in. It didn't even let me get to the password part because apparently somewhere along the lines, again, I must have probably acquiesced to this method of verifying my identity with them. But we're trusting all these folks to not do anything terrible to us with, like, I mean, how far is this away from having our very DNA? They've got microphones and cameras in your pocket and in your face and in your hand every waking hour of the day and you sleep with it next to your head in your bed it's the last thing you look at before you go to sleep after your spouse and the first thing you look at in the morning before your spouse (laughs) uh in a lot of cases not judging okay still trying to get them out of our bedroom and you know, I, this is all black mirror bullshit that we all talk about all the time. So I know this horse is so, so-called, you know, dead horse, this old chestnut. Well, yeah, y'all, cause it's still going on and it's only getting worse. They're barely getting started. We're going this direction in, in our society as well as that, which was just described there in that story that we just read on, on Hong Kong and Hong Kongers. But so I, I, I make this post a couple days ago and I, and I asked my friends on Instagram this same question I'll ask you now. And this is sort of a, put yourself in this position for a moment. I've sort of painted the scene already. Suppose for a moment you've got a smartphone with biometrics, but you never use the feature, quote unquote, because you're savvy that way. You've been carrying this device around for one or more years already. In some cases, we've had them for four and five years already, right? I don't even know how old my 6 Plus was. It's got to be close to five years old. 
Question. Do you think your thumbprint and or iris has or has not been collected anyway? Even if you've never enabled it for anything. If you're that strong that you've never turned it on. And the follow-up, which is almost unnecessary now, because obviously we've put it we put it out there what, what my position is on this, but I, I said here, follow-up. Am I paranoid or are we all far too complacent about pervasive mass surveillance? So I asked for some feedback on that. And uh, my friend Isaac from Speedy Siegel Racing here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Isaac's building a um, land speed racer for... Bonneville for this year. If you guys want to follow him on Instagram, follow me first and then find him here in my comments. Uh, Isaac says, I can't really say that I believe companies are using that for anything, but all the pieces are certainly there for that to happen. Totally agree with half of what my buddy says there. (laughs) Obviously, I'm pretty sure they're at times doing a little bit more than they should be with our with our bits and pieces, but, uh, another great account who, uh, we follow each other here and he's great, uh, sort of like Marxist philosophy account. Like, I'm not afraid to say it, check it out. The red growers, they're dope. Follow them, get your mind blown. They say, We are way too complacent about the wedding of deep state and corporate interests in surveillance tech. And, you know, once you parse that, you'll see that I also agree that that is a succinctly put insightful statement. Because this is much worse than just what we're describing here. Alan Wolf photos, at least I gave him a little something for food for thought. He says, damn, really though? Shit. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, Alan. Uh, painful Tone, great follower, love this guy. Interact with him on YouTube a fair bit in the comment sections on different uh, content. But Painful Tone says, they are preparing for a clampdown. Kind of like September 11th. They had the Patriot Act in their back pocket while they were remote controlling the destruction of the towers, along with our history of where we actually came from. You had better believe this 5G combined with biometrics is going to be just like Minority Report. They have been telling us of our future through Hollywood. Some of the best people to point that out have been removed from YouTube for years. Soundless Dawn was great at pointing out the parallels in Hollywood and the stories of the gods. I'm rambling. Not at all. Amazing comment. Thank you, Painful Tone. A lot to unpack there. I trace a lot right back to September 11th, 2001. Myself as well. I think for a lot of us who are old enough, that was our first moment of awakening. And I think we've had a couple of waves of people join us since then through watershed moments. Uh, in our shared history since then. But yeah, check Painful Tone out. Everybody here in these comments is killing it and they're all worthy of following. Trusty Mama says they are reading all our texts and photos too. At what point does that property stop being private? Fourth Amendment, what? Also, since Amazon is listening, who the recordings belong to? Who indeed? Trusty Mama. We've talked about Alexa in the past. I went ahead and spun down the Baked and Wake news brief, my little uh, Alexa news briefing, uh, flash briefing is what it was called. That's set to expire from like hosting at the end of this month. Um, I just don't like that space right now. I don't like the I don't like the smart speaker space. I'm holding one in my hand. It's still an Alexa in a sense. I mean, I don't think I think I did not re-download the Alexa app when I got the new phone. But yeah, so but we're not done. We got like uh, one more here. A great, uh, great comment from Bobber Boots. He says, they send me ads about shit I'm only thinking about buying. 
Not even something I've said out loud or looked up. They are in there, dude. Yeah. I mean, how many of you sitting here right now have already had that experience a few times where maybe you dropped one casual comment out loud or you clicked on an ad, God forbid, or hovered on an ad, didn't even click on it. And then somehow a bunch of your suggested ads and sponsored links start changing. How many of you have seen something in one place, like in an app, like an Instagram or something, and then gotten an email from a whole nother vector from seemingly somebody else entirely, like going straight into your inbox trying to sell you basically some version of the same thing that you just maybe evinced the slightest interest in. And in some cases, maybe just verbally. Or in some cases, as my friend there just pointed out, maybe not even verbally. Good times. I have a lot of great topics uh, getting ready to go for the next few episodes. I keep teasing the uh, five black researchers you need to know episode topic. Um, I've got my list of five. I'm reacquainting myself with each of them in prep for sharing them. And I think we'll just get it, you know, get it queued up for next episode, 81. Get ready for that. It's going to be, you know, a bunch of interesting people with huge catalogs of content and a lot of thought-provoking. Some really, like, stuff will make your heart flutter. You'll be tripping. You'll be like, okay, what? What now? But worth, worth seeing and hearing these people's points of view in their own voices. Um so we're going to just do, you know, the briefest of introductions, who these folks are, and, you know, I'm going to point you at one of their seminal works, and we'll get back to them later. Uh, we'll find out who's the most interesting and, and revisit with them. Uh, every one of them is still active out there somewhere right now, so. And, yeah, I mean, this is episode 80, so we're working our way to 100. It's going to be fun. I shared on Instagram earlier today, like a list of a bunch of stuff that didn't make this episode and that I need to do a lot more reading on, but to tease it the slightest little bit, I would say, look forward to learning about the God give Lomste, God give Lomste channel. It sounds like Nordic Scandinavian name of some kind. His, his accent reinforces that as a YouTuber He's got a crazy, awesome, mind-boggling, I'm, I'm talking Norb Theory class um, awesomeness, gigantic Earth Theory that is so awesome and so worth looking into. So I'll tease that by giving you guys the link to that channel in the show notes, and anybody who wants to read ahead, so to speak, can look into him. Uh, also look forward to, massively look forward to, uh, upcoming introduction to another uh, amazing account that I found through Instagram. Um, and turns out they do most of their content distribution through a website. And it's like, a you know, he's might've had a store at one point in time, but now it's pretty much a nonprofit kind of all the info is free, uh, situation. And he did that to make sure to keep it easy and accessible to everybody. And also to not be banned from any platforms for distributing, uh, the content in like ways that aren't compliant or some shit like that. So, you know, this is what people have to do to like get the truth out and the, the, the enlightening information out. He's basically what's cool about master conspiracy is his Instagram account is nuts and it'll blow your mind every single day with his thought provoking posts. Most of which lately have been about a, a really, really interesting, really interesting, uh, channeled work, a body of work called the Orit B codex. So, uh, which reminds me of nothing so much as like 
the next last coolest channeled work that I also want to talk about at some point with us is The Law of One, which comes from like back in the 80s. And that was also channeled by uh, somebody, you know, a channeler. Super, super new age she she shit. But uh, the Orbit B Codex is really thought provoking and weird and, and seems like it was written from like some futuristic super intelligence. It's trying to like really get you to think about some questions in a new way for the first time. Uh, but Master Conspiracy himself, uh, it, it's it's one guy, Dylan Lewis Monroe, I think is his name. And uh, he is a really great designer who's designed these really well-researched the only thing I can really call them is like infographics. That's what I'm calling them. He, you know, calls them like, you know, maps. Um, he also refers to them as like sigils or hyper sigils of some kind, I think is, is one of the terms that he referred to at least one of them, like the cult of ball map, um, which is the first thing that I saw of his, uh, which was like a crazy map of, well, like the history and interconnections and relations hierarchy through time and and through preeminence down from you know highest to to lowest of all like secret societies and religions and mystery schools etc throughout history it's an incredibly dense glyph it's a page it's an eight and a half by eleven single page that's just like amazing wall of text in varying font sizes and it's got a design layout to it that will remind you of different things like you'll think it looks like maybe kabbalistic tree of life kind of um spine and diamond structure to it with different relationships arrayed around big key organizations from top to bottom amazing amazing piece of work and one that you know a person could literally spin up a whole podcast and go for like the next five years just on unpacking the cult of ball infographic that one page i'm not kidding you they could go weekly for an hour or two at a time just understanding and parsing everyone on that list and looking at their neighbors and then trying to come to a place of understanding of what it all means um but even from the moment you look at it you begin to feel like, and i printed it out you print it out and sit there and literally look at it with a magnifying lens <laughs> uh somehow that feels a little easier actually in some ways than uh, magnifying it on screen in a pdf form so um i'll leave the cult of ball map as a pdf like a special attachment and you should be able to get that through my if you go to my website at bakedandawake.com and listen to the episode from there or click through to the episode from there when you scroll down on the main page, that'll take you to my Libsyn hosted page where stuff like the extras, whenever I do them, like PDFs that I make available, I've used uh, uh, that feature in the past to share maps like the um, Mole Atlas, a old and amazing and detailed uh, map that seemed to indicate the Tartarian Empire in a great deal of detail and... Uh, you know, we covered that in a previous episode and I attached that PDF. So try that. I'll, I'll attach it, but you can get it all from master conspiracies website, which is deep state mapping project.com. Don't worry. Link will be in the show notes. I got you. I take care of you. Right. Always. So, um, but I'm going to do probably a full episode on not only the cult of ball infographic, but one called the Q web which is, as the name implies, seeking to understand the Q-Anon phenomenon and what it is all about and express it in, again, a succinct but incredibly dense and sophisticated infographic called the Q-Web. Uh, and he has a, a number of others as well. I'm not going not gonna to spoil it for you. We, we got time. So... That's one to look forward to as well. There's a whole host of others, so many others. You don't care right now, though. We've had fun today. Let me let you get back to your day. It's Sunday afternoon here in Seattle, and we've got crazy mosquitoes this season. Tell me how your bug situation is wherever you are. 
because I'm actually really interested in that. I'm serious. Tell me how do you have a lot of ants this season? Has it been getting worse the last few years? How are the bees and things around you? I, I'm building up to something with this. I'd be very interested to hear. I'll share some posts on Instagram in the coming days. Look for posts on my YouTube community tab as well because I can and do leave messages there for uh, subscribers. Sub to me on YouTube if you're not already. I do occasionally do actual videos, but all the podcasts go there as well. Uh, I'm going to be doing some mud flood flood architecture hunting videos down in Olympia uh, soon, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to be doing that with my friend Whistler from um, the YouTubes, and um, hopefully one or two of my other local sort of Tartarian field team, street team, researcher friends. If you love the mud flood content and the Grand Tartaria mystery and the chronological civilization reset, uh, you know, research that that all sort of relates to, and you want to have some fun with that in between episodes and you want to like get involved with like chatting with some people about it, I'm going to leave you a link to our Discord server that is the Exertus Discord. All right, and let me tell you audibly at least what it's called i think it's the tartary zertus zertus or exertus I, I believe we say exertus is the proper pronunciation of our, our friend's uh screen name here yeah exertus tartary is the name of the discord and i'll give you a link to it there's hundreds of people there they're really kind and wonderful to each other there's no creepy politics barely ever that i've ever seen uh show up by anybody and it's not encouraged you know people are positive and curious and really discovering and collaborating together amazingly in this uh community and i think i feel like discord you know these little sandboxes that we're able to create there like i have one for the baked and awake show nobody goes to it of course but um it exists and um i'm a member of a couple of other interesting ones as well but the communities there are really great to each other from what i've seen at least the ones i've been invited to so far and it feels like a you know without it being like a like a worthless echo chamber of everybody just blowing sunshine up each other's asses and saying, oh yeah, we're all Tartarian masters disinherited from our great empire that was erased from history. It's a lot more thoughtful and thought-provoking than that in this particular uh, Discord, and there's a lot of different areas of research that aren't directly, per se, Tartaria or Mudflood. But when, when you go back and check out those episodes of mine, you'll hear me express strongly that you know those mysteries connect to almost everything that we call a modern historical fringe theory or conspiracy today in some way shape or form they relate to almost everything because that's the playbook that we've been left with is this one that only encompasses however many last few hundred or couple few thousand years with almost everything before that having been wiped completely clean or buried just deep enough that most of us can never ever get to see any of it. And as I've pointed out in the past before, for most of us, that only needs to be like two feet deep. (laughs) Because you can't dig if you want to. Everything's paved. Everything's owned. Even the land that you think you own, you probably don't really own. If somebody finds out you've been digging too deep on it, somebody will come along and tell you, hey, what the heck do you think you're doing? You better fill that hole in. Suffer the consequences. Now I am rambling. I'm taking you over an hour. So look forward to some fun episodes to come. Ponder my questions about your phones and your fingerprints and eyeball ID, irises being scanned. Do you think we can trust them with this stuff? Do we just say, fuck it, because the cat's out of the bag, that cow has already left the pasture, we've given it to him already, it's too late? Or, you know, is it good to quit at any time, because then they don't get one more fresh 
update to your thumbprint, one more fresh update of your other biometrics. Is it good to set down that Apple Watch and disconnect it from your heart rate monitor and sleep analysis reporting, etc., and just somehow live and breathe and sleep and get up and exist without it? I think the thing's worth pondering. I think maybe action can still be taken that will long-term result in a benefit for each of us who chooses to find a way to find the wherewithal to somehow begin to step away from continuously granting this permission, continuously feeding this precious data. This is, I mean, we're giving them everything. We've been giving them everything. They're not really inspiring my trust. All right. You know what to do. Smoke some indica. And do shit anyway.